encourage you to take your Bible and find your place in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it's good to see everyone this morning. If you haven't heard yet, it's Easter Sunday. And Easter Sunday is always a fun day. It's always a fun weekend. We had a ton of people here yesterday for our fall or our Easter festival. I keep saying fall festival, but our Easter festival. And we had games and all kinds of animals and, of course, an Easter egg hunt. But we had hundreds of people here, most of them not connected to our church whatsoever. And so it was an awesome event, reaching out, just wanting to serve our county and the people uh, surrounding our county. So thank you for all of who came out, and definitely thank you all for volunteering to make yesterday what it was. So thank you. And Easter is a special holiday. It's a great holiday, is it not? There's several things that makes Easter what it is, or, or, or fun and enjoyable. I mean, think about it. There's uh, candy. Can you, can, can you get an amen for candy? Some of you are diabetics, so you can't say amen, but you want to say amen, right? You love candy, you just can't have it. But candy is something that I know my kids ate for breakfast this morning because they got it yesterday for church. And they're, they're going to be eating it all day as we drive to Florida later on this afternoon. And so candy is one of those things that makes Easter fun. Uh, I look around the room and I see many of you are some, wearing some new clothes. Dad's got a new tie on, a new shirt. Mom's got a new dress. The kiddos have got uh, coordinated outfits. And we don't do that for most every other Sunday, but we do it for Easter Sunday. It's fun. It's enjoyable. Of course, the Easter egg hunts. But you know the one thing that makes Easter Easter is Jesus. Easter is about Jesus. His death, his burial, and his resurrection are what we celebrate on this day. It's what we celebrate on this Easter Sunday. Now, don't get me wrong. Eggs and bunnies and, and candy are good, but they are not what makes Easter Easter. I want to make a statement here. I want you to see this on the screen. Easter is about life being resurrected out of death. Easter is about life being resurrected out of death. It's about God the Father loving humanity. It's about God the Father loving you enough to send his son to die on a Roman cross. It's about God the Son getting up out of that grave and rising above death. Easter is about people coming alive to Jesus. This morning, I want to speak to that subject. I want to speak about coming alive in Christ. On this Easter Sunday morning, or what many times we will refer to as Resurrection Sunday, I want to talk about how to come alive in Jesus Christ. Many of us are familiar with these verses found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, where Paul kind of lays out the whole teaching of Scripture on what Jesus came to do. And there in verse 3, it says, For I delivered to you, as, for, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. We know that Jesus was crucified. We know that Jesus was buried in a tomb. We all, probably in this room this morning, know and realize and believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. But I bet there's a question that many of us might have come this morning with that we don't know the answer to. And that is, why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to go to a cross? Why did Jesus have to suffer and, and undergo such agony, have his back ripped to pieces, blood dripping from head to toe, crown of thorns, 
pushed into his brow? Why did he have to be nailed to an old rugged cross? And why did the sins of the world have to be placed upon him? We may believe and understand that Jesus was crucified, was buried and raised from the dead, but we may not know the question or the answer to the question of why. Why did he have to die? Not long ago, I had a conversation with a person on this very question. They were wondering, they, they, this person actually said, I, I, I believe and I, I understand what the Bible teaches that Jesus was crucified. I, I see in the Bible where Jesus was buried in the grave and he was resurrected from the dead. But the question I've wrestled with for a long time was, why did he have to go to the cross? Why did Jesus have to die? This morning, perhaps just like this person I had a conversation with, you too have never understood why Jesus had to die on that cross. And consequently, because you've never been able to understand the reason behind the cross, today, on this Resurrection Sunday, you can't fully appreciate or even comprehend the resurrection because you don't know the why behind the question. And yet these are historical events. The very foundation of our faith are built upon Jesus being crucified and Jesus being raised from the dead. They are the content of our confessions. They're the content of the songs that we sing. I mean, this morning we've sung beautiful music, beautiful lyrics that speak of the resurrection, speak of the crucifixion, speak of the blood atonement, speak of all that Jesus has done for us. But we may not know why. I love some of the lyrics that we sing this morning. Look at on the screens here some lyrics from three of the songs that we've sang. Our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. And that's when death was arrested. My life began. Another song that we sang this morning, lyrics are like this. By your spirit I will rise. From the ashes of defeat, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. And then the third song, the power of the cross, says, Oh, to see my name written in the wounds. This morning, I want you to just think about that. Your name is written in the palm of his hands as he hung there on the cross. For through your suffering, I am free. Death is crushed to death. Life is mine to live, one through your selfless love. Why did Jesus have to die? The Bible answers this question for us, and I want you to look there at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 20. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can read it along with us on the screen. Paul says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all die be made alive. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you on this Easter Sunday morning that the words that the Apostle Paul penned for those in Corinth are as true today as they were then. That there is a Savior that we worship. There is a Savior that we celebrate. There is a Savior who can change our lives because he was once dead, then buried, but today lives forevermore. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. And God, I pray that you would draw us close to yourselves. Help us to catch a glimpse of your glory. Help us to see you as resurrected and a risen Savior. And Lord, I pray that any person sitting in this room who's never had a transforming, life-altering experience with you 
would today come before you, lay their sins at the foot of the cross, and receive the salvation that you are freely offering to them. Lord, speak to us. Move in our midst. Help us to worship you and to celebrate you. Bless the preaching of your word, I pray in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Theologian Eric Sauer has written, and I quote, The present age is Easter time. It begins with the resurrection of the Redeemer and ends with the resurrection of the redeemed. Between lies the spiritual resurrection of those called into life through Christ. And so we live between two Easter's. And in the power of the first Easter, we go to meet the last Easter. Eric Sauer is talking about how Jesus, through his resurrection, begins this resurrection process in the life of those who would be his followers. He is the first resurrected one to never die again. And through him, we are resurrected ourselves and we are moving toward a time when we will be fully resurrected bodily as well as spiritually. And so the last Easter to which Sawyer refers is is the bodily resurrection of those who are in in relationship with Christ. This bodily resurrection is the subject for Paul here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now why is Paul speaking about the bodily resurrection to these Corinthian believers? Well, it's because they're Corinthian believers. These are followers of Jesus who are living in the city of Corinth, this Greek city, this major metropolitan city in the Roman Empire, empire filled with Greeks. And these Greeks had come to follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And they've come from this, this culture, this lifestyle, this belief system where they did not believe in the resurrection. The Greeks denied the resurrection of the dead. And so we know that when Paul was in Athens in Acts chapter 17, and he's up there on the Areopagus, and he's sharing the gospel and preaching his heart out with the elite, the, the, the philosophers of the day, they laugh him off the stage. They didn't believe in the resurrection. In fact, most Greek philosophers considered the human body to be nothing more than a prison. And so they welcomed death as a deliverance from the bondage of the body. And so, so this skeptical attitude, this cultural mindset was present within the Corinthian church. And so Paul here is writing to take on this understanding or misunderstanding of the resurrection. He's writing to face it head on. The people here misunderstood the relationship between the body and the soul of a person. The Greeks believed that the body was evil. And the heart was good. But Jesus taught in Matthew 23 that it was the heart or the soul of man that corrupted him. He's not corrupted because his outside looks bad. He's corrupted because inside he's bad. He said in Matthew 23 something like this. He's speaking to the Pharisees. He says, you're nothing more than whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. There's rot and decay within you. You may look great on the outside, but it's on the inside where the problem is. In other words, it doesn't matter how clean, how polished, or how well-behaved a person may be on the outside because on the inside there's nothing but death and decay. Ephesians 2.1 says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Paul's instruction on the bodily resurrection here teaches us that because of Jesus' bodily resurrection, sinners who are spiritually dead and far from God are awakened and brought to life in Jesus Christ. What's the significance of 
the Lord's resurrection, the significance is, is we can be resurrected. That death that's within us, that whole sinful nature that's within us, can be awakened and brought to new life in Jesus. There's a resurrection of the person's spirit to be followed one day by his or her body. So in this discussion of the believer's bodily resurrection, Paul touches on the spiritual resurrection of one's spirit, and we find here the answer to our original question. Why did Jesus have to die? Well, let me give you three answers for this question. Jesus had to die because humans are sinners, and the just penalty for sin is death. Jesus came so that we, who are sinners, might escape the penalty of death upon our lives. Look here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. Paul says, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Those who have fallen asleep, as you read this, I want you to understand, they're not taking a nap. These people are not, they didn't have a big lunch and they got drowsy and so they're taking a nap. What Paul is saying here is this, these people have died. These people are dead. They're no longer alive. Thus Christ died because every human being dies. Now we know this, right? There's only been two people in all of history that didn't die. You ever think about this? Enoch, the Bible says he walked with God and was not. And Elijah, both of them were caught up in a whirlwind, taken away by the Lord. Everyone else in human history, Jesus included. Of course, Jesus died and was resurrected to die no more. But every other person did not die. Or has died, I should say. Get that backwards. Two people have not died. The rest of us will die. Death is a part of humanity. Death is a part of history. Death is a part of our future. And the reason for that is because of sin. The just penalty for sin, the Bible is going to tell us, is death. See, the Bible says if we could go back to the very beginning, there in the Garden of Eden where God created Adam and from Adam created Eve and began to create all that there is in this universe, we see how sin came in to the historical account of the universe. The Bible tells us that God told Adam there in the garden that he could eat from every tree in the garden but one. He says, you can have all of this. It's wonderful. It's perfect. It's everything that you need. But that one tree in the middle of the garden, don't eat of it. For the day that you eat of it, you will die. You will surely die. Well, you probably know the story. Satan came in the form of a snake. He tempted Adam and Eve to eat from the true tree, began to question God's word, asking, did God really say? And began to kind of create this uh, this. Uh, this this idea that God was holding out on them, that God was not giving them all that he should, that God was not giving him, them his best. And so they began to question, they began to look at the tree and desired it, therefore they took it and ate it. The Bible tells us immediately the warning from God became a reality. Shame flooded their souls. They tried to cover their mistake. And when God graciously comes pursuing them in the garden, the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve hid in the bushes wanting nothing to do with God. You see, what God had told them would happen had already taken place. Adam and Eve's spirits, which were once alive to God, when God would come walking in the cool of the day and, and, and desiring to be in relationship with them and have community with them and speak with them and enjoy them and have them enjoy Him, they would come rushing to God. It's kind of like when I come home in the evenings from the office and my three little girls, I open the door coming up from the garage and they just come busting up to me, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. The nine-year-old doesn't really do that so much anymore, but the rest of them do. 
It's funny. My nine-year-old, I drop him off at school. She used to let me kiss her. Now she doesn't. That's about three months now, but she doesn't let me kiss her in front of her friends. But Adam and Eve used to come running toward the father when he would come in the garden. But when they ate of this fruit, they didn't come running. Something had changed on the inside. Something had changed in their spirits. The God's warning to them was that if you eat of this tree, if you eat of this fruit, you will die. And God's warning to them on that day came true. Adam and Eve died spiritually to God, and eventually we know that they died bodily. So Adam's sin here has been passed down from every, every, in every subsequent generation to every single person. Every, all of us have experienced the rebellion, the sinfulness, the nature that Adam demonstrated there in the garden. It has been passed down to you and I. We all have Adam's rebellion and all have Adam's sinful nature. That's why Paul says here, for as in Adam all die. The judgment that's placed upon Adam is now placed upon you and me because we are his offspring. You may say this morning, well, that doesn't sound very fair. That's not very good news on this Easter Sunday. I mean, how dare God blame me for something that Adam did? I wasn't responsible for that. That's not fair. I I would ask, is it not fair? Everything else we have that makes us human, we inherited from Adam. Why would we not also inherit the brokenness and the sinful nature that he had. We are all from one race, the human race, and the first human was Adam, and his sin broke God's original design. Thus, everyone who has followed was born into this world, a broken, sinful person. So we have inherited Adam's sinful nature, and therefore we have inherited Adam's punishment upon sin. He transgressed the law, and we too have transgressed God's word. Therefore, we get what we deserve. Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. In other words, the paycheck, the paycheck we earn for our sin is death. Every one of us like to earn a paycheck, right? We like when payday comes. We want to get our compensation for the things that we've done, the work that we've done. We want to get compensated, earn those rewards back. Many people hope to be or believe God should reward them for their good works. They, they believe God should reward them for their sincere attempts to serve him. The only problem with that is that nothing you can do is good enough. You're broken. You're a mess. Every one of us come in here with all kinds of sinful baggage. All of us come here as broken people. And we need somebody to pick us up. And yet the person next to you can't do that because they're a broken mess too. I'm broken. You're broken. We are all broken, sinful people under the just penalty of a holy God. And nothing we can do, number one, is righteous in the eyes of God, and nothing we can do is good enough. Nothing. And so the truth is, Jesus had to die because humans are sinners, and the just penalty for sin is death. God said, if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And ever since Adam, we've been eating from the tree. It is our nature. There's a second reason Jesus had to die, and that is God is gracious. God is gracious, and the free gift from Jesus is life. God says, you eat of this tree, you'll die. And then God also says, you may be dead, but I'm going to do everything I can to make you live again. God is gracious 
Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15, By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You see, in Adam all people have inherited a sin nature, and therefore all people will die. In Christ, all who believe in him will have inherited eternal life and shall be made alive in body and spirit. If we could return to the garden for just a moment. I want you to see the graciousness of God there with Adam and with Eve. God is gracious toward these two sinners. See, Adam and Eve had rebelled against God's command. They selfishly took something they should not have had. They took of that fruit. They ate of that fruit. And their sin rightly separated them from God. It flooded their hearts with shame and regret. The Bible tells us that that Adam and Eve began to take fig leaves and they created coverings, clothing for themselves because they realized that there's, they're naked. There's nothing covering them between God and themselves. They were ashamed. It ushered death into their future. Adam and Eve were under the just penalty for their sin. They had been warned but failed to heed the warning. God would have been just. Think about this. God would have been just if he would allow death to happen immediately in their life. Not just spiritually but physically. He should have just wiped them off the map and started over again. But God didn't do that. God was gracious. They died spiritually, but they didn't die physically. It wasn't the end for them. There was a second chance for their lives. And so God graciously came to them in Genesis 3.8. Adam and Eve did their best to hide from his presence, but God called to them. He graciously brought Adam to a place of confession, a place of repentance, and he graciously provided a covering for his sin. I love verse 21 there in Genesis 3, where the Bible tells us that God literally killed an animal, and from the the, the hides of that animal made clothing and covered Adam and Eve. It is a picture of what Jesus would do one day for us. God covered Adam and Eve's sin there in the garden. Adam rightly deserved the full ramifications of his sin. But God was gracious and he was merciful. Rather than Adam dying in that moment for his sin, God killed that animal, made the covering, was gracious toward him. You see, in the garden the animal died so that Adam would be spared. On the cross, Christ died so that you and I could be spared. Paul again said, for the wages of sin is death. That's the bad part of that verse. The good part of that verse is this, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Just like Adam there in the garden, God is pursuing you today. You are a sinner. You are running and hiding from God's presence. You are in rebellion against the God who created you, and you deserve the full penalty for your sin. You deserve a devil's hell, but God loves you. We always heard through Billy Graham's funeral over and over and over again on news broadcasts, on the internet, everywhere you turned, people were talking about Billy Graham. And if you listened close enough, you heard him say this, God loves you. God loves you. I think sometimes we forget how much God loves us. He loves us so much that he died in your place. He took your punishment upon himself. You see, when Jesus was on the cross, he was on it for you. The Bible says that your sins and my sins were laid upon him. And God the Father exhausted his wrath against your sin. He exhausted it on his son so that you could be forgiven. Think about how much God loves you. Would you take your child and offer that child as a substitute so someone that hates your guts, 
Someone that's reviling you, someone that's always mocking you, someone who spits in your face, someone who would crush a crown of thorns on your head, someone who would literally string you up and crucify you. Would you sacrifice your son, your daughter for that rebel? I can't say that I would, but God did. God loves you today. He loves you enough to experience the full wrath of his father upon himself. So the Bible says that Jesus was then buried in a tomb. It's here that we would eventually think the story is over. We would think, well, that was a good guy. He, he died for others. He was a martyr. He, he taught good things. He, he was a wonderful man. He served. He blessed. He did miracles. The story's over, but that's not the end of the story. The Bible tells us that Jesus was in the tomb. He was in the grave for three days. And as we sing just a moment ago, God robbed the grave. Three days after his death, Jesus got up. That would have been a good place to say amen, by the way. He conquered sin. He conquered all the ramifications of our sin when he walked out of the tomb. Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. All of it's over. Oh, we'll die. All of us will physically die, but that's not the end. I, I love when I'm preaching a funeral for a, one who loves Jesus. You can stand there, and there's hope in my heart as the preacher. There's hope in the family's heart because they know their, their loved one is not in this casket. It's not in the grave out there. It's none of that. The person is in heaven because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord for the believer. To be absent from the body if for the unbeliever is to be in hell, in punishment. You'll go to one of two places. But praise God, Jesus got up from the grave so that if we'll put our faith in him, we will not experience ultimate death. We will be raised spiritually alive. Thus, one day, to have our bodies also resurrected. So the resurrection of the Redeemer means there can be a resurrection of the sinner and ultimately a resurrection of the redeemed. Jesus had to die because God is gracious. And today, because of the cross, Jesus offers the free gift of life eternal. He died so that you might come alive. A third reason Jesus had to die is because new life is available and it comes through faith in Jesus. New life is available, and it comes through faith in Jesus. Paul, again here in verse 22, says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Just as Adam was the progenitor of everyone who dies, so Christ is the progenitor of everyone who will be raised to life. In each case, one man doing one act caused the consequences of that act to be applied to every other person identified with him. See, those who were identified with Adam, and that is every person, every one of us, are identified in Adam. We are all subject to death because of Adam's sinful act. Likewise, those who are identified with Christ, that means every person who has been born again in him is subject to resurrection, to eternal life, because of Christ's righteous act upon the cross. We dare not, as we read these words here in verse 22, we dare not read universalism into Paul's theology. Paul's not saying here when he says that all shall be made alive, he's not saying that every single person will be made alive. He's saying every person who's identified with Christ, in other words, every person who's come to a saving relationship with Jesus, they understand their sinfulness, they've confessed that sinfulness, they're embracing through faith the forgiveness found in Jesus, thus becoming born again, thus being a child of God, that person will be resurrected and have eternal life. That's what Paul is saying here. 
So it's not universalism. The answer here is not that, they, that both these two alls are the same thing. They're not the same thing. Every human being is a descendant of Adam, and therefore this first all is universal. But only those who are in Christ, who place their faith in Jesus, are his descendants. So the second all only applies to what we would call the redeemed, those who have been purchased back through the blood of the cross. Consequently, this new life that Jesus offers to you today as a free gift, must be received by faith. Paul said in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. God is gracious and he offers to you today life. He's calling you, even at this moment, some of you are sensing, the Holy Spirit is speaking into your heart, and, and the words that I'm sharing with you out of God's word is resonating with you. And, and you feel like, it's maybe even saying amen, but you feel like this is truth. I want to believe this. I, I think there's something here. I want this new life. I want what he's talking about. And so it's resonating with you. God is calling, drawing you. He's wooing you to embrace him. But you've got to do that. You have to embrace. God calls us, but the call upon our life must be reciprocated. And that is through faith, as we say yes to the gospel. We say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Bible tells us that we must, by faith, receive this free gift of new life offered to us from Jesus. How do we do that? Through confession and through repentance. Again, Paul says in Romans 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And then in verse 13 he says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus is calling you. Will you call back to him through faith? Will you say, Lord Jesus, I, I agree with you. I am a sinner. I agree with you that like Adam, I have rebelled against you. I agree with you that that like those who stood before you there while you were on the cross, hurling insults, cursing, mocking you, like those who were whipping and beating you, like those who nailed you to the cross. I am all of those people. I am a sinner. I put you on the cross. I agree with that. But I also agree with the fact that you were on the cross and you were dying for me. And I'm receiving that into my life. I receive your forgiveness. That's the only way you'll find new life. You will never find it in anything else but in Jesus Christ. Do you hear what I just said? You will never find new life, a new beginning in anything but Jesus Christ. So many times we think that we, if we start something new, that things will change. If I get a new job, things are going to change. If I can get a new relationship, I've been married to this person for X amount of years. They're not making me happy, so I'm going to throw that person to the side, and I'm going to run over here and get me a new relationship. And all of a sudden, my life's going to be wonderful. I'm going to tell you right now, your life's going to be miserable there, and your life's going to be miserable here, ultimately, because you're not in right relationship with the God who created you. So money can't fix it, relationships can't fix it, the bottle can't fix it, pills can't fix it. Nothing can fix your life but the God who created you for himself. That's the only one who could fix your life. So if we're talking about how do we come alive, the way you come alive is by bowing your knees and saying yes to Jesus Christ. No to my sin, yes to Jesus. The only way for you to come alive is to place your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and asking him to forgive you of all sins. On this Easter Sunday... I want you to understand what this, 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 what this day is all about. Easter is about life being resurrected out of death. It's about God the Father loving you so much 
He sent his son to die on a Roman cross. It's about God the Son getting up out of the graves and rising above death. Easter's about people coming alive in Jesus. The penalty for your sin is death, but the free gift of God is life in Jesus Christ. I wonder this morning, has there been a time where you have knowingly and willingly surrendered your life to Jesus? You've understood what we've been talking about this morning. You've understood that you are a sinner and under the just penalty of a holy God. Do you understand that Jesus died in your place? You understand that your sin separates you from God, but because of what Jesus has done for you, you now can have access to the God who created you, and you've responded in faith to that. Has there ever been a moment where that has taken place in your life? I didn't ask if you grew up in church. You might have grown up in this church. But you may not be here very often now, but you grew up in this church. This is your church, so to speak. And, and you may come back with mama or grandma from time to time, but there's never been a heart change in your life. You perhaps prayed a prayer as a kid. You were baptized. You were part of the student ministry. But today, you, you can't hang your hat on that because there's no evidence of a transformed life in you. Has there ever been a moment where you know for sure that you gave your heart and life to Jesus? Not religion, not baptism, not trying hard, definitely not riding on grandma's coattail. God has no grandchildren. He only has children. You have to personally put your faith in Jesus. My kids can't go to heaven because I'm a Christian, definitely can't go to, Christian, go to heaven because I'm a pastor. They have, to go to, they have to come to Jesus on their own, put their own faith in Jesus like you and I have to do. So has there ever been a time when you've done that? This morning, Jesus is pursuing you just like he pursued Adam in the garden. He loves you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to be your friend. He wants to be your savior. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to give you the life that you were created for. And he stands ready to forgive your sin. He stands ready to change your life. As we sing this morning, the resurrected king desires to resurrect you. Will you call upon him? This morning, as a believer, and there's many of you in this room, there's been a time in your life when you embraced Jesus. There's been a time when you confessed your sin. You're in relationship with Christ. You've received new life. You've been born again. And so this morning, I want to encourage you. Your eyes need to be open to the reality of sin. Your eyes need to be open to the reality of what sin does in your life. But your eyes equally need to be open to the goodness and the grace and the love of Jesus as well as the joy of knowing him. Sometimes we as Christians can become so cold and crusty. We become religion followers more than we are relationship followers of Jesus. And so sometimes our countenance shows it. Sometimes the way we speak shows it. It's nothing more than a cold, dead religion rather than a hot-hearted religion or hot-hearted relationship with Christ. And so this morning, I hope you understand that Jesus died to save you from your sins, but also Jesus died so that you could have the joy that he wants to bring in your life. He wants to bless you. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. How do we come in life? It's through Jesus. Why did Jesus have to die? Because humans are sinners, you and I. And the just penalty for sin is death. But God is gracious, and the free gift from Jesus is life. And that new life is available, but it comes through faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus.